Good evening, I'm Angela Kogod in for Ben O'Hara Byrne. Each week we spend a little time with a Canadian journalist to talk about the big stories of the day. This week we're getting more bang for our buck. Global News Chief Political Correspondent David Aiken joins us to talk about politics, but also to tell us about a very interesting documentary airing this Friday on Global at nine o'clock. It's part of Global News's energy special that rolled out on globalnews.ca last week. We'll talk about that later this half hour. First of all, I want to welcome David. David, thanks so much for your time tonight. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to know that you're getting extra bang for your buck with me. I feel extra valuable. It's great. (laughs) Just so you know, you're not getting any of those bucks. No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's talk about this week, because uh, yesterday we were saying that the politicians, it's kind of like their first day back at school. What were some of your takeaways uh, on this first and second day of the House of Commons sitting? Yeah. And of course, the the big notable thing, of course, about these first and second days and the days going forward um, is that we have in the House of Commons during question period, a brand new leader of the official opposition. And of course, that's Pierre Poiliev, who won the leadership of his party in absolutely convincing fashion, won the SOCONs, the Libertarians, the Free Marketers, uh, the old PC types, the Red Tories. He won every faction of his party. He won every single riding in the country except for eight. It's Pierre Poiliev party. So how is it going to play out? Well, um, if we look at question period as a bit of theater, and sometimes it is theater for everybody, but it's still an important place for a party, a politician to set the tone, to understand where we're going. And I got to say, it was absolutely unequivocally Pierre Polyev's question period, even though He did not place such a starring role, and I think this is smart. So let me explain. Um, If you watched any bit of the conservative leadership race and Polyev's campaign, Polyev was uh, really struck a chord, I think, with certainly a lot of conservatives and uh, and I think a lot of Canadians, and that he focused on the issues around cost of living and inflation. And we've seen all sorts of polls that say lots of Canadians, regardless of your political stripe, that's a big issue. Uh, we can argue about his remedy for this, but he has seized on that as an issue, and he's just been unrelenting in his focus on saying the government, the federal government, has to respond more directly to that. So yesterday in the in, in question period, and again, to, in, and again today uh, in question period, uh, the Conservatives were absolutely focused on the issues around cost of living and inflation. Now, what they think is appropriate for the government to do is put off any proposed increases to first the carbon tax, but then also to the sort of annual increases that have been announced to our payroll taxes, to CPP premiums and EI premiums. So that's what they would like to see accomplished. But there, And again, the, the, you can argue about whether that's right or not, but they are unwavering in their focus. Polyev certainly had some questions. He had a chance to shine in question period. It's a little unique right now because the prime minister, Justin Trudeau, he's not in the House of Commons. He's right this week. He's he's down in New York City. It is the annual leaders week at the United Nations. And it's important for Canadian prime ministers to be there. Stephen Harper was there for every leaders week that he could. Justin Trudeau, the same thing. So we'll see the Polyev Trudeau matchup. Maybe on Thursday, it might be next week. We'll see. Uh, TBD. But in any event, Polyev had his time in QP, but then he did this, uh, Angela. It's he wants to show unity or he wants to show consistency of message, mission accomplished. And then he wants to show it's a team. 
I started the top by saying he won everywhere in his party. So who did he feature during question period or who did question period slots go to so other members of his team could get up and hammer away at the government? Well, Scott Aitchison, for one. Scott Aitchison, the Ontario MP who finished last with 1%, he got a chance to ask a question and and a zinger. Um, We saw a guy named Rick Perkins, who's a Nova Scotia MP, but Rick Perkins was Jean Charest's co-campaign chair. He got a chance to get up. The new deputy leaders got a chance to get up. Tim Upple from Edmonton and Melissa Lanceman from Richmond Hill. The new Quebec lieutenant, Pierre Paulus, got a chance with a very effective question. They all had a chance to sing, signal to all the insiders in Ottawa, like me, the watch this stuff, saying, yes, it's Pierre Polyev's party, but look at this team, folks, and we're all coming at the Trudeau Liberal government. How did the Trudeau Liberal government, how did the ministers respond? It was a bit of a mixed bag yesterday. Today, the, the Deputy Prime Minister, Christopher Freeland, was in the House. She had a little more of a game versus uh, Poiliev. But I think what I think if people tune in or they watch our politics for the next months ahead, you're going to see some some clear choices. And politicians on, on both sides, I think, who are really stepping up their game to win, quote, hearts and minds uh, of Canadians. So in that sense, uh, I would say Poiliev had has started out on the parliamentary part of his job uh, on a pretty good foot, him and his team with a clear message. And I think the Liberals recognize they're going to have to up their game uh, if they want to hold on to power and make their case. And we'll see if the prime minister, who I know uh, we've talked to him about this, uh, he is quite keen to go up against Polyev and Polyev's quite keen to go up against Trudeau. So uh, we'll knock on wood, we'll see a bit of that uh, flash tomorrow or, or uh, in the coming days. Yeah, definitely interesting. I'm in conversation with Global News Chief Political Correspondent David Aiken this evening. David, what about the latest when it comes to travel restrictions? Because it was a couple of days ago that it appeared we were going to see changes when it came to the Arrive Can app. But even uh, in the last day or so, it still seems like the government doesn't want to show its hand. When will we know what the future of the travel restrictions will be? We are hoping that this happens Thursday, and uh, it may be a case the government doesn't want to show its hand. I think it's more of a case of, you know, sometimes you you actually have to let government sort of work through its processes that it wants to wants to go through. I mentioned the prime ministers in New York City this week. So a cabinet meeting where decisions about an arrive can app or about the the rules for vaccinations on travelers, those decisions would normally be made at a cabinet meeting that would normally be held on a Tuesday. This Tuesday, PM's in New York City. And, of course, he's kind of an important guy when you have a cabinet meeting. So the cabinet is going to meet tomorrow morning here in Ottawa on Parliament Hill. We expect that that some proposals will be put forward to make the Arrive Can app optional for those travelers coming in and to um, make some changes on vaccination rules for international travelers, maybe even for domestic travelers. We're not entirely sure. But... This is something that the cabinet, uh, it's definitely been hearing about from from backbench liberal MPs that, you know, hey, maybe it is time taking a look at the way the, the pandemic is is working its way around to adjust some of these rules. So so cabinet, we think, is going to talk about these tomorrow. And then I think we'll hear something. We've been working our sources and every news organization has. And everybody knows the Arrive Can app is People, people hate it. People don't like it. They don't want to use it anymore. Some, there might be a handful that some think it is efficient. So I think we're going to hear some news about the Arrive Can app uh, tomorrow, and uh, and we may hear some news about some adjustments to travel rules. One of the things, I mean, in terms of what we do know uh, after this cabinet meeting, 
Um, we're going to have a review of our cannabis laws announced tomorrow. I don't know if that anybody cares about that, but um, I don't think anything significant is coming up. But that's the only thing right now uh, that uh, we know is going to be announced tomorrow is a cannabis law review. But we are expecting something on uh, some of these travel restrictions. Good evening. I'm Angela Cocott. In for Ben O'Hara-Burn, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has sparked a global energy crisis and has shone a spotlight on Canada's energy future. Can our country be a solution to Europe's energy woes? And how will this impact our commitment to fighting climate change and our ability to be an international player? A team of journalists from Global News has interviewed some of Canada's leading voices to answer these questions, including a former premier, energy giant CEO, Indigenous elders, and others. And it will all come out on Friday night, a one-hour special on Global News, Landlocked Canada's Energy Crisis. One of those journalists that will be participating in this documentary is my guest this evening, David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent for Global News, really focusing on why we haven't been able to win the energy battle and get our energy to Europe before the Russians. David, looking forward to this documentary because it is part of this whole energy special that rolled out on globalnews.ca last week. But give me an idea of, of what we will see on Friday night. This has been top of mind ever since Russia invaded Ukraine. Exactly. And so when that happened, a lot of our, our, our senior editorial people said, well, let's take a deep dive into this issue, because, it, it, I mean, when you think about it and, you know, if you're watching social media or watching, you know, sort of your friends saying, you know, there's Germany and, and France and Western Europe, our allies, our friends, you know, they're they're over a barrel with literally over a barrel with Russia, because that's where they get a lot of their energy, particularly natural gas. And here we are in Canada. Oh, my gosh, we got natural gas and we can't possibly use we're a smaller country we can't use all the natural gas that we produce in bc and alberta and saskatchewan and elsewhere um how can't why can't we get our natural gas to our friends in europe and 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 make it and give your western europe the energy security that they, they need that was you know that's been the simple thing so what we're exploring in this, it's an hour-long special, and we've got all sorts of different angles, um, is is how we go about it doing that. Um, I talked to, you mentioned a former premier, I talked to Brad Wall. I went out to to uh, to Brad's uh, place in uh, southern Saskatchewan, beautiful place. And if you've ever been down in southern Saskatchewan, the grasslands, my goodness, it's it's a pretty place. And uh, and we had a great chat. You're going to see it on uh, on Friday night, uh, in which we talk about some of the problems. So, so what are those problems? Well, first of all, we need a pipeline going from the west to the east. Okay, that would take years to build. I mean, that's one of the problems. It's it's there are some shortcuts, but shortcuts we measured instead of say a six year project to a four year project, that sort of thing. I talked to to BC Premier John Horgan uh, about this whole idea of using our natural gas, and he thinks great idea. But of course, we've been trying to get the LNG terminal in BC going for what seven years. I mean, again, these things take a long time. So we talk about. Uh, we talk about that with Premier Wall and and other my my colleagues talk to energy industry execs about okay can we do this as a country are we ready to invest um, the billions it would take to build the infrastructure to get west western Canadian energy resources to an eastern port uh, we have to build some terminals some some uh, in 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 eastern Canada in Atlanta Canada can we do that so we're going to talk about that so there's a 
there's a business component to this problem about uh, expectations of return on capital. And, you know, we are in a, in, a, in a world where we are shifting away from fossil fuels. And if we're doing that, should you be investing billions in a fossil fuel infrastructure? How do we deal with that? And then there's the politics of it. And this is something that this is not new, uh, the politics of energy in Canada. We have governments in Quebec, the current government, the previous government, different political stripes. Quebecers are saying no way, no how to a pipeline through the province. And I asked Brad Wall, how do you go about that? One of the interesting insights Brad has is that he sort of agrees in one sense that there, it should not be a federal government that just says, right, here comes the pipeline. That's that's his opinion. And he would he would have taken umbrage if he, as Premier of Saskatchewan, was told to do that. That said, of course, you know, John Horgan did go to court to prevent the tra- the Trans Mountain pipeline from Alberta through down to Burnaby that uh, the federal government owns from operating. So there is a role for the feds there. As I say, there's politics and it involves Quebec. And, and Brad's insight is it's really going to take Premier's uh, it's definitely going to take federal leadership, but it's really going to take premiers sitting down and sorting some things out in terms of that infrastructure. And then, of course, in this day and age, where, what is the component for our indigenous leaders, our indigenous uh, communities? Um, you know, you, if you if you if you just had some casual passing glances, I think, at many of the day's headlines, you might think that all indigenous people in the country are against resource development. And as we're trying to show on, on Friday night, that's that's far from the case. They want to be partners. They want to be owner. When I say they, this is individual First Nations. Individual First Nations want to be owners of mines. They want the investment to produce returns for their own communities to help them with health care, with schools, with cultural activities, you name it. They want to be producers of oil and gas. They want to help with transporting oil and gas. But they come at it, I think, in a way that a lot of everyday Canadians, non-Indigenous Canadians come at it. They want to do it in a responsible way, in a sustainable way, with a recognition to our environment. And that gets us then into the big picture on on our commitments internationally on, you know, we're trying to can we be net zero in 2050? And you're going to see a really interesting discussion with a guy from McGill University, a guy named Chris Reagan, who's uh, spent a lot of time thinking about, he's an economist, thinking about how do we do this? And he's going to make the point saying, listen, the goal is not for Canada to be net zero in 2050. The goal is for the entire world to be net zero in 2050. And you know what? To do that for the whole world to be net zero, maybe Canada has to change its target because maybe our cleaner natural gas needs to be exported and put to Europe to supplant coal, dirty coal, or Russian gas, or whatever it may And if we do that, if Canada commits to helping the world get to net zero, maybe we can't get to net zero. And maybe we need to have a discussion in this country about adjusting our targets in the name of getting the entire planet to net zero, which is really the goal. So so we hope this special really raises some some new ways of thinking about this problem to be both uh, energy superpower. Remember, that was Stephen Harper's phrase but also be uh, a green good guy, which, you know, the Trudeau government certainly uh, thinks is important. Can we do both? I think we're going to talk to a lot. You're going to hear a lot of smart people say, yeah, we can do both, but we really have to have some different kinds of discussions uh, politically, business-wise, everywhere around the country. Yeah, and we have talked a lot. So I hope out of this documentary, we get some action as well. David, I really appreciate your time tonight. Hey, thanks so much, Angela. No problem. 